Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Do any of you know these cartoon characters? Does anybody here know the names of these cartoon characters? What are their names? Wiley Coyote, yes, and the Roadrunner. The Roadrunner. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Now, Wiley's greatest desire is to capture and eat the Roadrunner. But the entire show is based on his inability to do, just do that. And so despite 70 years, over 70 years of trying, because that's how long this show has been going on, despite over 70 years of trying, he has never gotten what he wanted. Now, his, his, his inability... His futility is so obvious that even a four-year-old who was watching this show for the very first time was able to recognize it. So after staring at Wiley chase around the Roadrunner for 30 minutes, this little boy had an epiphany. And so without taking his eyes off the screen, he said very intently to his family, no matter what he does, he's never going to catch that chicken. Do you ever feel like Wiley e. Coyote? That you're chasing something that you can't catch. That no matter what you do, you're never going to catch that chicken. Maybe we've been chasing the wrong animal this whole time. Mark Twain very famously said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Today we're going to talk a little bit about why. Why are we here? Last week, we began studying Jesus' final prayer for his disciples before he was crucified to discover what it means to be a Christian in a rapidly changing world. And what we found out was that Jesus wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. To neither abandon the world nor assimilate into it. To remain connected to the world, but not corrupted by the evil one. And we said the key, the key to doing that last week is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to meditate on him daily. That's how we remain in a changing world, but not be changed by it. But the question still remains, why? Why does God want us to be in this world when we are not to be of it? That's what Jesus prays about next in his prayer in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up, launch the app, flip over to John chapter 17, starting in verse 18. And Jesus prays to his Father, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I want you to focus for a moment on this word sent. It's used twice in this passage, once to describe what God does for Jesus and once to describe what Jesus does for us, his followers. Now, some of you may know that the book of John was originally written in Greek. And so the word that we translate sent is the word apostello. Can you say that with me? Apostello. Does that sound familiar at all? It should. It's where we get the word apostle from. Apostle. So it doesn't just mean sent away, but sent with a purpose. 
It was often used to describe how kings would send messengers to their subjects, or generals would send their soldiers on a mission. So when Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, Jesus means that he sends us to fulfill the same mission, the same purpose that he came here to fulfill. That's why Henry Nouwen, speaking about this passage, writes, each of us has a mission in life. We seldom fully realize that we are sent to fulfill God-given tasks. We act as if we have to choose how, where, and with whom to live. We act as if we were simply dropped down in creation and have to decide how to entertain ourselves until we die. But we were sent into the world by God just as Jesus was. In other words, if you are a Christian, you don't get to choose your mission. God has already assigned you one. And it's the same one that Jesus had. We are here to complete the mission Jesus came here to do. So then what what did Jesus come here to do? If you could encapsulate Jesus' entire mission in just one sentence, what would it be? Well, the good news is we don't have to because Jesus does it for us. In one verse, just 25 words, Jesus captures the essence of his mission. And it's a verse that I'm pretty sure you've heard before. It's probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. It's famous because it so effectively, effectively captures what Jesus' mission is all about. So this, this verse, this verse, because we've heard it so many times before, it, it can be easy to get desensitized to it. We've heard it a thousand times. Maybe some of us have memorized it since we were children. So we start to lose it starts to lose some of its flavor, some of its meaning. But if we take time to really examine it, it is so full of profound meaning because it shows three things about Jesus' mission. It tells us the motive, the method, and the mark of Jesus' mission. The motive, the method, and the mark of Jesus' mission. And... So what is this verse? What is the verse that, that shows all of these things about Jesus' mission? Some of you may have guessed it already. It's John 3.16. It's the verse that you all recited together out of memory. So today we're going to take a moment to examine, do a deep dive into John chapter 3, verse 16. Because this not only tells us about Jesus' mission, but our mission as well. This is why we are here. John 3.16. So I'd like to invite you to actually open your Bibles. I know you've memorized this verse many times before, but I'd like to read it with you so we can examine the words of this verse. John chapter 3, starting with verse 16. Why was Jesus sent and why are we sent? For God so loved the world. This, this is the motive behind Jesus' mission. This is why Jesus came into the world. This is why he sends us into this world. This is why Jesus wants us in the world, even though we are not of the world. Because God loves the people of this world. He loves all the people of this world. 
He loves the Republican and he loves the Democrat. He loves the conservative and he loves the liberal. He loves the Palestinian and he loves the Jew. He loves the heterosexual and he loves the homosexual. He loves the hedonist, the hypocrite, and the homeless. He loves the Muslim, the Buddhist, the atheist, and yes, he even loves the Christian. God loves all the people of this world. He loves the people who think differently, believe differently, behave differently than we do. He loves the people who annoy us and bother us and frustrate us and anger us. He loves, he loves that unethical coworker who always takes our best ideas. He loves that reckless driver who cut us off on our way to church. He loves, he loves that internet troll who likes to pick fights with us online. God loves all the people of this world. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Because sometimes this is difficult for us to accept. Because somewhere we've gotten this crazy idea that God's love is dependent on our behavior. So if we're having a pretty good day, if we've been patient with our kids, we've been productive at work, we've been kind to our neighbors, then we think God must feel pretty good about us. But if we have a bad day, if we lost our temper, we lost our heads, we lost our jobs, then, then we start to think that maybe God doesn't like us very much because we don't like us very much. See, we've started to believe that God thinks of us the way that we think of ourselves. And since our opinions are behavior-driven, we believe that God's love is behavior-driven. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches us that God loves us as a parent loves their children. And there's really no other kind of love that's quite like the way that a parent loves their children. Of course we love other people. We love our spouses. We love our siblings. We love our friends. And it's not like we love our children more, but we do love them differently. Because every other kind of love takes time to develop. But our love for our children, that's instantaneous. I mean, I still remember the first time I held each of my daughters in my arms. I felt such overwhelming love for them in that moment. It felt like my heart was going to burst. And I know that sounds cliche, but I really have no other way of describing it. My, my heart felt too big for my body. And I knew in that moment that I would do anything, anything, to protect and care for my children. And it's strange, because I had just met them, right? I didn't know who they were going to grow up to be, and they didn't even know who I was. And yet, I loved them so much. My, my love for them was not dependent on their behavior. It wasn't dependent on their behavior, because their behavior was basically that they pooped, slept, and cried, right? That's what babies do. They poop, they cry, and they sleep. They didn't even give me a smile until several weeks later. I had to earn their love. 
but they didn't have to earn mine because they are my children. And that doesn't mean that they don't, our children don't sometimes frustrate us or anger us or hurt us. You know, sometimes it seems that our children are specially designed to test our patience and push our buttons. Can I get an amen? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it seems like we are fighting a losing battle against our children. As Pastor Ted Cunningham likes to say, I've seen the enemy and they are small. <laughs> but at night, after my children have fallen asleep, sometimes I like to sneak into their rooms to give them one last kiss goodnight. And in those moments, it's like all of the anger and frustration and hurt just roll away. And they are once again those same babies that I held in my arms for the very first time. And that, that is what God sees when he looks at us. See, God doesn't love us because we deserve it. He doesn't love us because we've earned it. He doesn't love us for what we've done, but for whose we are. We are his children. And so there's nothing, nothing that we could ever do that could separate us from his love. Now, this doesn't mean that God is permissive because love isn't permissive. There are elements of grace and truth in love. There is forgiveness and discipline in love. God loves us just the way we are, but he also wants us to grow and mature. I really appreciate how Max Lucado in his book, Just Like Jesus, describes this element of God's love, the two sides of God's love. He writes, when my daughter Jenna was a toddler, I used to take her to a park not far from our apartment. One day as she was playing in a sandbox, an ice cream salesman approached us. I purchased her a treat, and when I turned to give it to her, I saw that her mouth was full of sand. Can any other parents identify with this? Where I intended to put a delicacy, she had put dirt. Did I love her with dirt in her mouth? Absolutely. Was she any less my daughter with dirt in her mouth? Of course not. Was I going to allow her to keep the dirt in her mouth? No way. I loved her right where she was, but I refused to leave her there. I carried her over to the water fountain and washed out her mouth. Why? Because I love her. God does the same for us. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. God's love is a redeeming love. He loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He wants us to be just like Jesus, because we are his children. And until we start to see each other the way that God sees us, we will never be able to love one another the way that God loves us. So we don't love each other because we deserve it. 
We don't love each other because we've earned it. We don't love each other for what we've done, but for whose we are. We are all his children, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, the random person we see walking down the street. They are all children of God. And that's why Tim Keller writes, when a Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless, he knows he is looking in a mirror. Perhaps the Christian spent all of his life as a respectable middle-class person, no matter. He thinks spiritually, I was just like these people, though physically and socially I never was where they are now. They are outcasts. Spiritually speaking, I was an outcast. See, our love for others springs from our love from God. We are able to love others because God first loved us. Love is the motive of God's mission, and it should be the motive of our mission as well. This is why we are in the world, to love the people of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love is his motive. Sacrifice is his method. Sacrifice is his method. Have you ever thought about what it cost Jesus to come here to this earth? Jesus, Jesus didn't come here as a strong adult. He came here as a weak infant. He didn't come as a powerful king. He came as a powerless kid. And he came to a developing country without germ theory, without modern health sciences. He was born in a shelter made for animals. And from the moment he came to this earth, he was chased by a mad king who wanted to kill him. And Jesus actually came to die. He came to die for the very people who hated him, who hunted him, who, who mocked him, and who eventually killed him. Jesus came to die for them. Jesus came to die for us. So Jesus' life here on earth was a series of sacrifices meant to benefit us. He sacrificed heaven for earth. He sacrificed divinity for humanity. He sacrificed immortality for mortality. He sacrificed life for death. Sacrifice is Jesus' method because love takes sacrifice. And if we are going to complete Jesus' mission, we have to also be willing to sacrifice for those that God called us to love. The basketball team at Oakwood Academy, they know a little bit about sacrifice. In the 2021-2022 basketball season, for the very first time, their team made it to the sub-regional um, semifinals game. It was a big deal for the school because this is the farthest they had ever gone before. They had made changes, they had worked hard, they had finally gotten there, only to discover that that game was to be played on Sabbath afternoon. And so they were faced with a choice. So take a look at what happened next.
That's a huge deal. Uh, this is this is history. Uh, this is the first time Oak Ridge Adventist Academy has reached this level in basketball. This is the climax of an entire season. We've been playing games, I mean, for several months, and now we are in the championship game of the 1A class boys, varsity basketball team. I'm more than proud of them. I would give them the clothes off my back. I would do anything for them to succeed. Oakwood Academy is having a banner year. This season, the Mustangs have won 13 games, but the spectacular season for the Christian Bay School may come to an end this evening because of a religious reason. Oakwood Aventus Academy forfeiting a basketball game because of their religious beliefs. The game was scheduled for 4.30 Saturday afternoon. Unfortunately, this is during their Sabbath. the 21-22 season, getting to the sub-regional semifinal game, it was a battle. At that point in time, um, no other Oakwood Adventist Academy team has made it that far. Everyone's on cloud nine. It's like, you know, we're making history, and the week following up was the, the decision that had to be made of, you know, forfeiting our game. We saw the uh, bracket on early Wednesday morning and uh, one of the student athletes called and said, Coach, did you see the bracket? They have us playing Saturday evening at 4.30, and the sun didn't set until 5.31. We can't play. That's our Sabbath. All the teams knew that if we play Saturday, we're going to play after the sunset. So my knowledge going into it was they'll be able to, you know, accommodate us because of our religion, and we'll be able to play after sunset. We were still pretty optimistic that we could put a call into the state and they would accommodate this reasonable request, uh, but that didn't happen. Ultimately, they told us no. It was very disappointing. You know, we had emotions that were going all over the place, that we had worked hard. Uh, we felt like we had earned the right to go. When we found out we weren't going to be able to play because they weren't going to switch the times, man, it was, it was, it was, it was real saddening because we really, we really wanted to play. I was crying. I know I for sure was crying because I really wanted to compete. And I was upset. I was upset for days. Um, just asking that question, like, why? Friday evening to Saturday evening is really a time where you can separate yourself from every all the distractions and being able to spend time with God with yourself and improve on your relationship with him. Our team, we took that very seriously. We understood that we were playing for something bigger than us. We already understood that we weren't gonna play, but once we did that, we were able to, it was a team decision how we were gonna react to that. We were gonna be able to hold our heads up high and know that we were playing for something bigger than ourselves. We had no idea what would happen after we forfeited and the stuff that came after that was just, a, I feel like it was an example of God blessing our sacrifice. The support came 
in all directions. It came from the churches, which we expected, but then it started to come from people in the community. It ultimately reached the governor of Alabama to the point where we were able to go to the capital, to the state capital, and we were able to meet her, we were able to talk with her. It seemed like she was very genuinely interested in us as people and not just a basketball team that could make her name bigger. And it was really a genuine support of, I support you guys and I'm gonna stand with you guys. And I feel like that was a blessing because once she stood with us, it was easier for other people that were against us to stand with us. Basketball, there is a winner and there is a loser. There's always gonna be one. And you know, you just have to be comfortable with the result. I believe that we lost because there's a bigger message in the loss than there is in the win. I feel like if we won, it would've, the glory would've shifted away from God. The glory would've been shifted onto the team and it could've affected how we saw ourselves. Ultimately, you have a bigger reason why you're here and that's to witness to people. Getting recognition, that isn't the goal. The goal is to, you know, spread the message of God to around the world. So getting the awards and all that, it's cool and all, but that's not the reason why we're doing it. Some people will say it's just basketball. Um, but for us, it is that important because it's bigger than basketball. It's more than basketball for us. You got a chance to see kids share their faith through basketball. I wouldn't change what happened for anything. You know, I'm glad this happened. You know, God put, the, put us in this place for a purpose, a reason. To some people, basketball is all they have. So they wouldn't give it up for anything. And for us, God is all we have. So we were able to give up basketball for something bigger than basketball, which is God. Nothing in this world can feel the, the hole that we have in our lives that God can't, you know? A high school win, when you get older, you're not gonna be dwelling on a high school win, you know, your whole life, and I hope not. I hope there's better things out there for you than just a high school win. But God, God is gonna be there every step of the way. So even though we didn't win, I wouldn't change our loss to a win and not stand for what we believed in. Special thanks to the North American Division Communications Department who produced this video for allowing us to show it here in our service today. You know what struck me about what those students said was that they recognized that they are here on this earth for a greater purpose than just playing basketball. Isn't that powerful? High school students recognizing that. And so they were willing to sacrifice something that they were passionate about, that something that they had worked very hard to achieve in order to accomplish a purpose that was bigger than themselves. 
See, this is bigger than just basketball. It's bigger than even just the Sabbath. This was about students who are willing to make a sacrifice in order to communicate something about a God they love. And because they made this sacrifice, the story wasn't about who won or lost a basketball game. It was about their commitment to God who is committed to them. See, this is Christ's method, sacrifice, because love takes sacrifice. Have you ever wondered why anybody would eat a mushroom before? Anybody here like mushrooms? Some of you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mushrooms taste, we know that mushroom tastes good now. But who was the first person to look at a mushroom growing in the wild and think to themselves, I wonder if that fungus tastes good. <laughs> who was that person? You know, honestly, real talk, I think it must have been an Asian because we eat everything. <laughs> I mean, cats, dogs, balut. Where are my Filipino friends at? Not that we Koreans should talk. We eat kimchi. And kimchi is basically rotten cabbage, right? I mean, who was the first person to take stinky fermented cabbage and think, you know what this needs? Rice. <laughs> That's the question that Pastor Erwin McManus was considering at a leadership conference. Some of you may know Erwin uh, McManus is the lead pastor at Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. And he was invited to speak at a leadership conference for Christians. But when he got there, he realized he was scheduled to speak right after the foremost expert on leadership. And so he listened very intently to what this man was saying. Tracked along with all that he was saying in his presentation until he got to the middle and the man said that he was urging them to be early adopters and not innovators. And this is the reason why. He said the, the innovator is the person who eats a mushroom and dies because it's poisonous. The early adopter is the one who learns from the innovator's mistake, avoids the mushroom, and lives. And that makes sense, right? It makes sense because it's safer to be an earlier adopter. You're not going to die. But if there are no innovators, there's also no innovations. Unless someone is willing to take that risk to eat that first mushroom, we would never experience the joys of portobellos and shiitake mushrooms. So then what, Pastor McManus wondered, what would cause a person to take that kind of risk to be an innovator? And he decided one reason was love. Love. Maybe it happened like this. A father doesn't have enough money to buy his family food. So he starts wandering a field trying to figure out what to do. And he notices that there's all these mushrooms growing in the field. And he thinks to himself, man, if we could just eat these, we wouldn't go hungry. So he decides to risk it to make that sacrifice and taste one of those mushrooms. And he doesn't get sick. He doesn't die. And so he gathers all those mushrooms, takes it to his family, and they have a mushroom stew. And thus, mushrooms as a cuisine was born. So Pastor McManus, when it was his turn to speak, he stood up and thanked the other presenter for his presentation. 
is that I understand that it's safer to be an early adopter than to be an innovator. But I, I'm going to be an innovator. I'm going to be a mushroom eater. And you know, Jesus, Jesus was a mushroom eater because he was willing to make sacrifices, to take risks for the people he loved. Love takes sacrifice. That's why Scott Cromode in his book, The Innovative Church, writes, your calling is not about you. Your purpose as Christians, the reason why you are here is not primarily about you, about what you want, about what you like. It's not about you. It will require you to become who your people need you to be. Do you know what this means? It means that sometimes we have to put aside our own wants, our own desires, our own agendas, our own preferences for how things are run in order to do what is best for others. It means that in a conflict, my primary goal isn't to get what I want, but to give what the other person needs. It means that in every interaction, I am not looking to control the other person to make my life better. It means that I'm willing to try some mushrooms, even if they are poisonous, because that is exactly what Jesus did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, the motive for our mission is love. The method of our mission is sacrifice. And the mark or the impact of our mission is eternal life. And when Jesus says eternal life, he doesn't just mean more of what we already have. He also means better than we all already have. That's why he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So it's not just eternal life, it's better life. So as his followers, we should make it our intention that in every interaction, we are looking to make other people's lives better. When I was just 16 and driving for the first time, I lived in a little city in Northern California called Windsor. Anybody here know where Windsor, California is? A few of you. Yes. Amen. <laughs> now, Windsor... Back then, it, was, it wasn't even a city. It was a town. It was very small. But it was rapidly growing. So they constantly were doing construction on the roads, making them wider, because the traffic was terrible. And I remember one time where they decided to make the intersection that connected us to the freeway to turn it from a single-lane intersection to a four-lane intersection. So major construction was happening. And throughout that time, the months that it took... The signal light didn't work. So uh, during rush hour, in the mornings and in the evenings, they would station a traffic control officer there to direct the traffic. Now, I can imagine that that would be a fairly stressful job. I mean, directing drivers who are in a rush to get to work, to get to school, to get to their appointments. 
in a rush. It, it, it could be very, very stressful. It's certainly not a job that I would want. But they picked the perfect person for this job. I mean, this man took a job that nobody would want, and he used it to make all of our lives better. He used it to give us life and life more full. See, I, throughout the four months that he was doing this job, I don't think I ever saw him without a smile on his face, which is pretty incredible because early mornings, it's hard to have a smile on your face. And just the way that he directed traffic, he did it with such grace that it was like he was listening to music that we couldn't hear, but we could see in his motions. I never met this man, but I felt every time I saw him, I felt so welcomed just by the way that he motioned, the way that he smiled. I felt so welcomed. And I know that I wasn't the only one to feel this way because Pretty soon, people started, like, waving to him, saying hello, rolling down their windows, talking to him. Some people would even stop by on the side of the road so they could run over to him and give him some refreshments. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Traffic control cop. We even, we even started to talk about him when he wasn't around. We would talk about a traffic control officer who we had never met before. We would talk about how amazing he was because he made our lives better. He gave us life and life more full. And that, that's what I believe Jesus would do if he were a traffic control officer in Windsor, California. Have you ever met someone like him? Someone who just gives you life someone who makes your life better just by being a part of it. That, that was Jesus' mission, to give life and life more abundantly. And as his followers, that should be the mark of our mission as well. So what would happen? What would happen if we, all of us in this room, decided to be a little bit more like that man? What would happen if we decided that in every interaction, we would look for ways to make other people's lives better? What would happen if at our work, at our schools, at our homes, we made it our goal to introduce people to God's love? What would happen if in every contact, every conversation, every conflict, we look for opportunities to love others the way that God loves us. What would happen if that was what our church was known for? I'll tell you one thing that would happen. We couldn't stop people from following Jesus. See, this, this is our mission. To love the world so much that we are willing to sacrifice our own needs, our own wants, our own desires in order to give life and life more full. So stop chasing chickens and start giving life because that, that is why we're here. Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we invite you 
to step into our lives. Because you make our lives more full, more abundant. You are the vision of our lives that we pay attention to, that we focus on. And so we ask that we not only accept those gifts, but that we also step forward with those gifts to offer them to others. Help us to be people who give life and life more abundantly, to make sacrifices for the love we have for your children. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.